0: Tom, thank you for leading us in prayer for the Pascuccis. Um, I know a lot of people um, have been praying this week for them and I'm just encouraged um, just about the body of Christ. Uh, God has designed his family in such a beautiful way uh, so that when difficult times come, uh, that we are a shelter and a strength to one another. I mean, primarily, it's because of Jesus that we don't f- fear death at all. But when things are difficult, uh, when, when there's tragedy, the people of God are here uh, for one another. And so I think that's a, that's a real testimony uh, about what's going on. I was with him at the ER when... Um, They discovered the news, and uh, just a devastating moment, but at the same time, um, Pastor Chad was there, Shannon was there, uh, their home group leader, Jeremy Corbett, who is an ER doctor, and his wife Cassie were there, and there was just a sense uh, that even in the midst of this situation, God had preordained things. Uh, to protect them and take care of them in the moment. So that was the overriding sense and the spirit uh, that I had when they were there. So continue to pray for them. uh, And if there's things that we can do, uh, Victor will shoot out messages for how we can support them. All right, we got the slides ready to go. Are they up there? Awesome. All right, so if you are a visitor, I want to welcome you tonight. We as a church are going through the book of Ephesians. And this could be a good thing that this is your first night, because we have just spent six weeks on one sentence. We had six teachings on one sentence. I'm happy to announce tonight we're done with that sentence. God is merciful. Moving on. Over the last couple of weeks, though, we've been studying this amazing uh, uh, first sentence that intros Ephesians, and what we've been focusing on is the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and how together in their individual capacities, they are pouring out amazing spiritual blessings on us, the people of God. Were you overwhelmed with the, the, the blessings that God has for you over the last couple of weeks? It was awesome um but immediately after this long sentence at the beginning we see that paul launches into a prayer uh, and it's a prayer for the ephesians let me read it here it is for this reason because i have heard of your faith in the lord jesus and your love towards all the saints i do not cease to give thanks for you remembering you in my prayers And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the great working, sorry, the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above every rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills on all, all. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we ask that you come tonight, God, and you would open up your word to us, God. We want you to speak to our hearts tonight, God. We don't come tonight as people that um, are not in need, people that have everything together, but God, we confess that we are desperate for your word in our life tonight, God. Uh, we need you, and so we humbly ask God, come speak spiritual truth that gives us life tonight, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so this prayer is one of two prayers that we find in the book of Ephesians. And what I've done here is most of you are familiar. Uh, can it, who can read that? Uh, Thomas, would you read that for us? Most of you are familiar with the walk, stand, or the, or somebody else, sit, walk, stand, I messed it up, sit, walk, stand idea uh, that we've been going through, the three parts of Ephesians. This is the entire book of Ephesians up on the slide there. The yellow portion uh, is the sit, the green is the walk, and the blue is the stand. You're going you're to see in red those are the two prayers that we find in the book of ephesians okay the other one is found in chapter 3 verses 14 through 21. tonight we're going to look at this first prayer and i think it's worthwhile for you to ask yourself why would paul include a prayer in a letter why would he do that well i think one reason is that he wants the people at Ephesus, right? He's, he's writing to the church at Ephesus. He wants them to understand that he has, he's just not some academic guy off somewhere sharing some truth with them, but he loves them very dearly. And he is praying for them and he wants God to bless them with spiritual blessings. But also, I think in a, in a unique way, uh, when Paul steps back from instructing them and, and communicating ideas about truth to the Ephesians, And he he shifts into this prayer for them. I think he's implicitly saying that, listen, guys, I could talk to you all day about the blessings that God has for you. But in order for them to truly take place, for them to materialize in your life, my talking and communication is not enough. It will not do it in order to enter into the spiritual blessings that God has for you. God has to move by his spirit in your hearts. That's what Paul is recognizing here. We cannot cause these blessings to happen uh, by some type of ascension to an idea. We cannot cause them to happen in our lives by being good or following a list of rules. There's one way that these blessings take place in our lives, and it's if God moves. It's if God moves. Paul can't make it happen in their lives Billy Henderson can't make these things happen in your life. There's one thing, and that is a move of the Spirit in our hearts. And so that's why Paul is praying, because that is all he can do. At this point, he has to give it over to God and say, God, would you cause these blessings to take place? And in fact, Paul is really giving us an example of what we are to do when we want to seek out the blessings of God. In that situation, when we want God to move in our lives, right, this might be the sitting piece, is we don't act. We cry out to God and say, God, would you move and do these things, right? Amen. Okay, so that's the starting point here. So what what is Paul asking for? What is Paul asking for in this prayer? If we boil it down to the essence of the idea of what Paul is asking God to do in the Ephesians and in us, it's this right here. You can read it. The Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He wants God to give the Ephesians and us as the lineage of the church knowledge of him. This is the heart of this prayer. This is the thing that Paul wants for the Ephesians more than anything else. He wants them to know God. He wants them to know God. Core principle alert. If you remember, when we talked about this series, we said one of the things we're going to do is as we go through the book of Ephesians, we're going to talk about some of the principles that um, we have taught for a long time in this church, and principles and ideas that shape the very foundation of who we are as the people of God in this church, and knowing God is one of them. You see, this verse here, John seventeen three says this, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Right? We believe that the key to life, the key to true life, to beautiful life, to good life, to eternal life, is knowing God. This is the center of it all. And, you know, you know we need to, I think we need to understand that across America, like America, right, one of the most Christian nations uh, in the world, right? At least that's our concept a lot of times of, of, of this country. People are living in churches as Christians all across this nation without the understanding that following Christ is about having a personal relationship with their father in heaven. In, in some way, it's been distorted uh, to this religion where we understand certain things about God, we understand certain rules uh, and, and what it means to be a good person, Uh, and we engage in that religious system, right? In some sense, I think our eyes have been blinded to the reality that the thing that God wants most, right? More than us being good people, more than us believing a certain set of things, what God wants for us, God the Father wants for us, is to come into a depth of personal relationship with him. That is why he sent his son to the cross to die and raise him up from the dead so that we could know God. So that we could enter into a deep all-consuming relationship, not just a casual engagement <laughs> on the weekends, but a life-changing, identity-shaping relationship with God that shapes everything about who you are i think it's also important to note here that we need to remember that paul is writing to a group of believers people that have already entered in to a relationship with god they're part of a church but he's still praying for them that they would receive a spirit of revelation and wisdom in the knowledge of god you see I think what, what Paul understands is that you do not arrive in your relationship with God. It's not something that you, uh, that you conquer and you accomplish and then move on to something else. Relationship with God is something that you grow in every day of your life. And so irregardless of the situation, the maturity of the person sitting in your chair, God has a depth. For you to move into in your relationship with Him. So, tonight, this is a word for you. All right, so this is what Paul is praying for here that we would increase in our knowledge of God. So, I want to talk a little bit about what it means to know God. What is this knowledge of God that we are talking about? What does it mean to know God? What is it like? Uh, The first point that you'll see is that knowledge of God is spiritual in nature. Paul's request begins with that the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So knowing God is a spiritual activity, right? Because God is spirit. We know this from the interaction that Jesus had with the woman at the well in John 4.24, right? Jesus explains to that woman that God is a spirit. And if we want to worship him, we have to worship him in what? Spirit and in truth. So the only way that we can know God or interact with God is to know him in the spirit. We also know that, that in our natural bodies, like in our flesh... We cannot know the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, it says this, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Pretty interesting. Later in Ephesians 4, in this very book that we're reading, you'll read, You must no longer walk as Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. Keep that phrase in mind, the hardness of their heart. It is literally impossible to know God in the natural because without the Spirit alive in our heart, Without spiritual eyes that can see, we cannot see God. We are cut off from him. But what's the great news, right? One of the beautiful things about being born again, about entering into relationship with Jesus Christ through faith, is that our spirit comes alive inside of us again. When Jesus becomes Lord of our life, your spirit awakens from the dead This is what Jesus was explaining to Nicodemus, right, in John 3. And he says this, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In Ephesians 4.23, Paul explains that when we are born again, we put on a new self created after the likeness of God. Whoa. And we become renewed in the spirit God. Of our minds this means that now that we're in relationship with jesus our spiritual eyes have been opened to a spiritual world and to a spiritual god paul describes this new capacity of the children of god in an awesome way in first corinthians 2 you should just go read all of first corinthians 2 but in verses 10 through 12 he says the spirit searches everything even the depths of God. And we have received not the spirit of the world, right? Not that old flesh, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Now with the spirit of God alive in us, with access through the Holy Spirit, our realities are actually transformed from living in this earth of flesh and bone, and we enter into a spiritual world where we can connect, where we can conceive and interact with our spiritual father. Paul describes this transformation in verse eighteen. This is working, and he gives you kind of like a word picture for it. He says, "Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know." This is really powerful you can see with your heart you can see with your heart man we live in a world and and an age that if it's not data it's not real man how shallow that is when you enter into relationship with jesus your heart comes alive and you can see the spirit you can see god with your heart this is really important that that we as the children of god can see in the spirit Because now we can behold him. Right? There's all kinds of things going on in the spiritual realms. But but the greatest result of becoming spiritually alive is that you can behold the spirit of God. Your spirit can interact with the spirit of God. You may remember that sight would probably be pretty significant to who? Paul? Paul? Think about Paul's life, right? One of the things that we know about him is that on the road to Damascus, as he's traveling to murder Christians, he's knocked off his horse. And what does God do? He blinds him. He blinds Paul. There's this, this natural occurrence that God allows to have Paul to have in his life where he loses his natural eyesight, which is really just a reflection of what's going on in Paul's spirit. He, he has no spiritual sight at this, at this point. And so for three days he can't see. God's kind of giving him a sense of what's going on in his spirit. And then Ananias comes to the house and he prays over him. And Paul, you know, so what it says is Paul receives his sight and is immediately filled with the spirit. He receives his sight and he's filled with the spirit. And then later in Acts twenty six, Paul's telling the story of what happened to some other people, and he says that when this happened after his eyes were opened. God commanded him and he said, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. This was Paul's mission. This is what happened to him. His eyes were opened in the spirit spirit, and then God sent him to go communicate this truth to others so that their eyes could be enlightened as well and they could turn to God and know him. Awesome. Okay. So number one. Relationship with God, knowledge of God is in the spirit. Number two, knowledge of God is personal in nature. The type of knowledge Paul is talking about here when he says knowledge of him, knowledge of God, is not a theoretical type of knowledge. You understand what I, say, what I mean when I say that? It's not analytical. It's not factual driven. It's not knowing something about god it is a personal and experiential kind of knowledge i'm not a greek person but let's do a greek thing you all want to do a greek thing real quick i think we can do it we don't have chad here but we can do this the greek word for knowledge that you see in in uh, verse 17 is epinosis okay uh, when you read that word epi generally what the word epi means is knowledge or understanding. It's actually a contraction. So there's two words there. There's an epi and there's a gnosis. Okay, the epi part means upon, on, over, or near. And the word gnosis just means knowledge. Okay, so this is interesting, actually. The word gnosis, just the word gnosis without the epi in front of it, just the word gnosis You can find that in the New Testament, and it is used. And it is used to mean knowledge or understanding, okay? But when we compare these two words, the word epinosis and the word gnosis in the New Testament, it's very revealing. So I want to give you a couple examples of where these words are used. So I think it's up here. If you can read it. Can you read that? You can read that. I'm going to walk you through it for those that can't see it. So in Romans 1 we read this. For all, and this is talking about all those bad people, right? You remember this in, in Romans 1. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Okay? In this verse, the word used here is gnosko, or the verb form of gnosis, okay? Right? And it conveys what is this verse really talking about? This is a theoretical knowledge of God, right? These people, they know that there is a God, but they don't really know him. And how do we know that, right? Because it says they don't give thanks, they don't honor him, they don't have a personal relationship. So the word for this kind of theoretical understanding of God is gnosis, okay? But let's look at this other verse, okay? This is a verse in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, okay? And it reads like this. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Okay, It's talking about when we enter into the very presence of God. Now I know in part, then shall I know fully, even as I have been fully known. Let's break this verse down. The first know in this verse, right? The know in part is the Greek word gnosko or gnosis, that word for theoretical Knowing about something, right? An imperfect knowledge. But the second two no's in this verse are the epinosis word. That word fully known and know fully. I think when you look at these two verses, it gets you a, gives you a sense of the type of knowledge that Paul is talking about. In Paul's verse, he says epinosis. I want you to know fully. This type of knowledge, this word epinosis, most scholars believe that what it really means is an is a absolute perfect knowledge that comes from personal interaction or personal experience of a thing. This is the kind of knowledge that Paul wants the Ephesians and us to have of God. Not to know about God. Not to know that God exists not to know that God is an idea, but to know that very God yourself from personal interaction with and personal experience of. God wants us to come into contact with his very person. He wants us to know him. He wants us to touch his very heart. He wants us to, to know him like you would know a friend. This is the type of personal relationship that you were created for. Deep in your DNA, in your spirit, there is a longing to interact with God. And there is no other relationship that exists that can fulfill that cry in your heart for relationship. You can't find it anywhere. There's one place you can find the desire of your heart, and that is to have a deep, personal interaction with God. And when you find that place, if there is anything in the world that can be called home, it is that experience of knowing God personally. Amen? Mm. This lines up with the Hebrew concept of knowledge as well. The Hebrew word for knowledge is yada. And it includes a lot of things. The scope of that word is very wide, including perceiving, learning, understanding, willing, performing, and experiencing. Possibly the greatest picture of experiencing God, the person that most kind of shows us a picture of what it is to know God has to be Moses, right? Remember the stories of Moses? Moses went up on a mountain and interacted with God so closely that his hair turned like golden silver. He Encountered a bush that was on fire that included the very presence of God. He had to take his sandals off in the presence of God. He was that close to God interacting with him. He watches God <laughs> created a channel through a sea for the people of God to walk through. Listen to this verse in Exodus 33, 13. Now therefore, this is Moses speaking to God. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, Please show me your ways that I may know you. This is what Moses wanted. He wanted to experience the ways of God in a deeply personal way so that he could know God. All right. I know that, you're, I know that there's some people out there right now that are like, yeah, but that was Moses. Moses is a distinct person. He's like a really significant person. And I am just me. This kind of personal, experiential relationship with God is for every single person. Okay, it's for every single person. And, and I want you to—I want you to hear this. Is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, in Revelations three twenty, it says this: Jesus says, "Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, if you open the door." He says, I will come into him, and I will eat with him, and he with me. Can you think of anything more personal than sitting down for a meal with somebody? The image that, that Jesus is giving us of the type of interaction that he wants to have with us is not, you know, some text that can describe who Jesus is. It's this idea of a very, the real presence of Jesus entering into you and having a meal with you. He wants to be that close with you, to experience life with you that deeply. Okay? So the knowledge that God, uh, of God that Paul is praying for is this direct personal knowledge of God. He doesn't want us to know about God he doesn't want us to know God through proxy, through him, or somebody else that has met God. He wants us to know God for ourselves. Hallelujah. Amen. That's the message. That's what, that's what Paul is praying for in this prayer. I have no idea where my slides are. until they totally got it. All right. Let's look at this also. Knowledge of God comes through wisdom and, re- and revelation. Okay. You see that Paul asks that God will give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Okay? Two qualities that play a significant role in our ability to understand or know God are wisdom and revelation. Um a, good, a decent definition of wisdom. This is like from a dictionary is the effective application of knowledge and experience. Okay? I think most of us, wisdom's hard to define for me anyways. I think most of us have an intuitive understanding of what wisdom is. I think we know that it's not just knowledge. It's not just being a smart person, like having a big brain, right? Because there are a lot of people <laughs> with big brains and that know a lot of facts that are actually pretty foolish. You met people like that? Yes. That's a person with a pretty big brain that said that. <laughs> but it's the ability to take knowledge, to take a big brain, and to use it in a productive, healthy way to accomplish things that are good in life. We all know this verse, right? Wisdom is proven by her children, right? So the idea is that wisdom is something that helps us become successful in life. It's, just not, it's not just knowledge. But wisdom, in a very unique way, is very important in coming to know God. I think one of the most amazing things about God, right? You remember Jesus and he was like with his disciples and the kids were there and he was interacting with the kids and disciples were like, why are you doing this? Why are you hanging out with these kids? God, and I'm very thankful for this because I'm not the smartest of people, God has this amazing ability to interact with a child. And that child can know him fully and embrace him and love him for everything he is. But at the same time, the wisest person in this room could search after God their entire life. Without, without ever having like a bad attitude and be like, I'm not, I don't want to hang out with God for this year, but someone, their entire life, for 100 years, 200 years, and never come to the end of learning new things, getting more knowledge about who God is. God is deeper than the deepest ocean that we've explored. He's profound. He's beautiful. His vision extends into eternity. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 55, 9. God says of himself, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. In Romans eleven thirty-four, 34, For who has known the mind of God? Wisdom enables us to go deep in our understanding of who God is and what his ways are. A great example of this is, remember when God sent his son into the earth to die? No one understood it. No one understood what God was doing. It didn't make sense to anybody. His wisdom was deeper than anybody, right? We know this because they would not have killed Jesus if they knew why God was sending him, right? But now that God has poured out his wisdom into our hearts, not really smart, not really wise people, we can grab hold of the deep wisdom that God had when he sent his son. We can see his purposes and his intentions in his heart to send his son to die, right? Something that flips the entire script of what any powerful person would ever do. It's wisdom that opens that up to us, right? And so I think a lot of people are mistaken about wisdom. They think that you need to gain more knowledge or you need to like take some, what is it? I think it's the, is it the B vitamins that help your brain like, you know, move faster and and become smarter? That's not the way that you get wisdom. God created wisdom before the earth was even in existence. And he gives wisdom as a gift. The two things that we know about wisdom, from the Bible, is one from James. The way that we get wisdom is we ask God for wisdom. And then in in the book of Proverbs, we also know that when we fear God, that is the beginning of receiving wisdom in our lives. Asking for it and fearing God. That's how we get wisdom. Paul is asking for wisdom so that we could go deep, right? We could go deep in our understanding of The depths of God's beauty and goodness and righteousness and holiness, wisdom. In a similar fashion, we can't know God without revelation. The definition of revelation, a good one, is to uncover something that is hidden. To uncover something that is hidden. Um, God's existence, in my opinion... God's existence is unmistakable. I mean, if you're honestly looking at the world around you, his existence is is open, and it's bare, and it's visible, right? But I think in another sense, who God is, right, the desires of his heart, the things that he loves, they're hidden. He doesn't just leave them out there for everyone to see. In order for us to see the heart of God, there has to be a revelation. There has to be an uncovering so that we can see into his purposes and his goodness. And the awesome thing is that this is what we know about God. One of his greatest delights is in uncovering his love and his person and his wisdom and his beauty to those that that are humble, and those that love him. Amen? In James 4, 8, we learn that when we draw close to God, he draws close to us. One of the things that I've learned is that if you want to have revelation of God, if you want to experience God uncovering things that you had never seen before, you never understood, you'd never seen... You need to draw close to him. You need to spend time with him relationally, just at his feet. I've also learned that there are some specific places where God loves to reveal himself. There's some places that you can go where God over and over loves to reveal himself. One place is when you are without reserve, without holding anything back, Worshipping Him with everything that is in you. That is one of the contact points, I think, between heaven and earth is that when we worship God with everything that is in us, revelation occurs in those moments. Another place is when when you fast and you pray. When you fast and you pray, God loves to reveal Himself in those moments. And then, of course, when you study the word of God. And right again, I'm not talking about learning something about God when you worship, pray, or read the Bible. I'm talking about a spiritual, supernatural, personal revelation that God wants to cause that, that, that brings you into a deeper understanding of who he is. But this is really important, the nature of revelation. Revelation is not something that we can cause God or force God or cajole God into doing. Revelation is a free gift that he imparts to us. And so when we approach him and we interact with him, we're sitting at his feet, waiting on him. It's all about his act of pulling away the curtain for us to see who he is amen all right so let's do this uh i'm not real good with mystical things but we're gonna this is a little bit mysterious here um i think what i just did was a uh, like a straightforward kind of interpretation of wisdom and revelation for you i think they're accurate i think that is the meaning But I also think at the same time, Paul's communicating those things, but I think there's a deeper spiritual meaning that he's communicating at the same time, if you'll go there. So in 1 Corinthians 2.24, it tells us that Jesus is the wisdom of God. So in 1 Corinthians 2.24, it says Jesus is the wisdom of God. And then in John 1.18, tells us that jesus is the one who reveals god jesus is the revelation of god in the earth and so i think also in kind of a mysterious way that i can't really explain paul is saying that i want you to have both the revelation and the wisdom which is jesus i think he's saying that he wants you to have jesus and that in having jesus you have knowledge of God. Amen. All right. So to summarize those things, uh, the type of knowledge that God or that Paul is asking for is spiritual in nature. It's personal, and it's full of wisdom and revelation. Okay. So this gives you an idea of what we're talking about, or what at least Paul is wanting for the Ephesians to have in their life. And this thing, right, is the most valuable thing you can possess in life that is personal knowledge and relationship with the god the creator of heaven and earth we're not done yet we're close you might be thinking to yourself this sounds really good uh i would love to have this but like on a practical level like that just seems very daunting and very unrelatable for me matt henderson to have a relationship with the creator of heaven and earth. Well, Paul goes on in this prayer, and he gives three specific things he wants us to know about God, okay? And I think these three things uh, can serve uh, as a practical guide to you of how to approach some practical ways to engage in relationship with God. So let's read them. Oh, man, shoot. They're not here. I'm going to read them to you. Yeah, I missed this one. These are the summaries of what they are, but let's read it, okay? It's that last part, starting in 18. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, which he worked in Christ. Okay, so here they are, the calling, the inheritance, and the power. Three things that God wants you to know about himself. But can I tell you, let's remember this though, right? Do we want to know about these things? Do you want to just know about the calling and know about the inheritance and know about the power of God? No. Your answer is no. You don't want to just know about them. You want to experience them. Okay? So when I say these things are a guide, I, I, I say these are things that God wants you to experience. Knowledge that he wants you to experience in him that draws you close to his heart. Okay? So let's look at each one of them. Knowing God in the calling. There is a calling on your life. Um, Abraham in the Old Testament is the archetypal kind of example of someone who was called by God. He was in Ur with his family. God called him out of Ur. He said, I want you to leave your family and I want you to build a new family and this will be a new nation called Israel. and I'll be with you every step of the way. Okay? He called Abraham to a new life, a new work, a new everything, okay? You, just like Abraham, God has a call on your life. We know this. We know this to be true. Just like Abraham was called for a work, God wants to personally call you to a work. God is on a mission to see the kingdom of God built here and now in the earth. And he wants to give you a part to play in that mission. He has specifically gifted you with giftings that are relevant for this time right now, for things that need to be done. And God wants to communicate that to you and call you into that and then walk with you in that. This is one of the most powerful ways that you can get a revelation, an understanding of who God is when you interact with him in the calling. I want to tell you a brief story about myself. Most of you know. Just for visitors, my dad is the pastor here. I grew up here. I was the the the, like the first oldest kid in the church. Okay, so the things that I did kind of like in the context of this community were the first time they were being done. Okay, this is what happens. Uh, This is the kind of person you get when you try that. So careful if you. Anyways, when I was in high school, okay, so just for a history, this church is at a long connection with the University of Kentucky. That's where we were born out of, as a Bible study on the University of Kentucky. Um, but by the time I was in high school, there was nobody in the church. There were zero people in the church that were going to the University of Kentucky when I was graduating, okay? There were some people that didn't go to school there that hung out there. It was kind of weird, uh, but nobody... Um, was there. Um, and I'm going to tell you, when I, I, you know, I had a decision to make when I was finishing high school what am I going to do with my life? Where am I going to go to college? What am I going to pursue? And when I was in high school, I very clearly, I did, God didn't speak to me, but I very clearly felt the call on my life to go and attend the University of Kentucky. And the calling was that God wanted me to go. Uh, and build the kingdom of God at the University of Kentucky. And I did it. And I was really foolish when I started, I'll tell you. I had some expectations. Hold on a second. My dad's texting right now. What is this? Oh. Hey, Ray. Um, but uh, I had, some, <laughs> I had some, some probably blown out of proportion expectations, but I had a sense that God was going to use me on that campus to see people who had never interacted with God come to know him. Uh, And in the process of receiving that calling and, and obeying it and doing it, it wasn't always fun, but I came to know things about God. That was such a formational period of my life when I understood, yes, God loves me. He knows who I am. He created me right now to go there and do this. We got to see people come to know God in powerful ways. I got to struggle with what it means to obey God when things aren't going well, when I was all alone at a university without any friends for the first couple of years. The depth of understanding of God that I grew in as it relates to the calling and obedience to that was profound. Okay? So that's what I think Paul is talking about here. He wants us to know God in the calling. Number two, knowing God in the inheritance this can be, it's here, let's read it. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? I think, so a lot of people, when you read this, you first think, okay, I got to know God in my inheritance. That's not what he's talking about here. He's saying the riches of his inheritance in the saints. So let me unpack this for you. What, what, what Paul is really saying is he wants you to know God in an understanding of of the riches of God's inheritance in the saints. And what he's really meaning here is that God's greatest treasure, his inheritance, the thing that he is going to enjoy forever, is the saints, is you and me, is the church. Especially in the context of this book, what Paul is talking about here is, listen, listen, I want you to understand how crazy, mad, and love. God is in with his church. God loves his church. He sent Jesus into the earth to redeem his church so that his church could be his bride forever. This is what forever is going to be. The bride, the church, being with God in eternity. God has an infinite, amazing amount of joy and expectation for that. And what Paul is saying is, I want you, Ephesians, I want you to understand like how intensely God is looking forward to being with his church forever, to being with you, but not just you. God loves you, but he loves his church and he wants his church. He loves it. There needs to be a revelation in your mind of I want to give an example of this too? Something that, that I think we see a lot at this at, the, at our church is, you know, there'll be people that come from, and, I, and again, I'm not I'm not a, <clears throat> I'm not degrading any other church, but there'll be people that come from a church experience where they it was kind of transactional, organizational. They were part of a group of people that went to church on Sundays and then came back and saw each other again on Sunday. But there'll be people that come from like a scenario of that, and they'll come into this church and they'll for the first time they'll experience like true, deep relationship with other people around Jesus who really love Jesus and care about one another. And they get integrated into that community of people. And then there is a revelation that goes off in their brains and in their spirits in their hearts. And they see, wow, like I've been missing this. The church is powerful. It's amazing. God has created it to be a beautiful group of people. And I want to be part of this. I want to give my life to building this and being part of this for the rest of my life. And I can't wait to be part of this in eternity, right? That's what Paul's talking about here. Like, if you can participate in that and engage in that, you'll come to a deep understanding of who God is. Amen. All right, our last one, and we're concluding here. Knowing God in his power. Don't fall asleep yet, because this is awesome. Knowing God in his power. So this, I think, is a great way, the power of God is a great way to contrast theoretical knowledge of God with personal knowledge of God. God wants us to come into contact with his power. And the power that, that, that we're talking about here is the power, right, when Jesus' body was dead and it was in a tomb, it was, it was, not, it was like, it was decaying. Right? There's no life left in the body, in the bones, in the blood, nothing. God, by his power, entered into that body and raised that body from the dead. Okay, That's the power that we're talking about. We're not talking about an idea of power. We're not talking about a, just a spiritual power. We're talking about a power that enters into real life and has effect and brings life into the earth. Jesus' body was dead, then it was alive by this power. Philippians 3.10 says this, that I may know him, that is Jesus, and the power of his resurrection. I may know him and the power of his resurrection. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. That power that was in Jesus, God wants to pour it into your life. Not in a theoretical way, but in a reality, flesh and bones way. This resurrection power, we know from the scripture, can transform us into people who are not bound to sin, but can live in love towards other people. We also know from Acts, the book of Acts, that when this power comes upon us, We have an ability to share the gospel that is supernatural. At the end of Mark, we also see that when this power of God comes into us, we can cast out demons, we can speak in new tongues, we have protection, and we can heal the sick. There is an experience of this power here and now that deepens our understanding and knowledge and relationship with God. Amen. Last week, Sarah came up and told us about Elizabeth Williams, her mom, who had cancer in her lungs, and the doctors, she said Bill John didn't tell her this, but she had, she had 10 months to live, and they were done. You know, they had no solution for her, but the church prayed, and Elizabeth Williams was made free, was healed of all cancer. That's the power of God. And Elizabeth Williams, right? I want you just to think about what that would communicate to your soul about who God is. Does He love you a little bit? Like it's one thing to hear about somebody having cancer, but to have like actual cancer in your body and to go through the chemo and everything, and then God to obliterate it. Do you think you would believe in His power? I think you have a sense and an understanding of the power of God and what he can do in the earth. Amen. Okay? So, all right. That's awesome. This is what Paul's praying for. He wants us to have a personal, and Jake, you can come on up. This is what God wants for us. He wants us to have a knowledge that's not about him, but a knowledge of him uh, that is above that, that includes a personal spiritual interaction with his person. And I know that many of you have had amazing experiences with God. But as we read the word, as we are refreshing ourselves in this truth in the book of Ephesians, I want to charge you, I want to encourage you to press in to knowing God more. And not to revert or to be comfortable with just learning more about him. We need God to be here in person, in in our midst, that he would be glorified. Amen? Awesome. Okay, amen.